Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Anthony. 
Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, our guests, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Fine, Brother Anthony. We then will bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Move. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, uh, Brother, A- Brother Africa. My name is Haki Kibanfi Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness. My thing is all about institution building. And uh, one of the things, one of the reasons why I think institution building is so important is that we look at the kind of shenanigans that they play in terms of the economic system. Clearly, this uh, transfer of wealth from the poorest sector of society to the most wealthy sector of society has a particular impact, a very deleterious impact on the, the, the aspirations of people in the society. It particularly negatively impacts African people, simply because we're, we're disproportionately African working class people. So therefore, given that reality, it's coming upon us to create institutions to fundamentally understand that reality and to deconstruct that reality so as to create um, some kind of way, some strategies in terms of us moving forward. So we need institutions that ought to do that because institutions provide the kind of clarity we need in terms of moving forward, and without the institutions, it becomes very, very problematic. So I definitely encourage people to get about the business of building institutions because it's what's needed in terms of our longevity in the society. It's just really needed. And, Brother Africa, I want to thank you for having me. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next following, Brother Haki, we'd like to welcome Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Okay, and right now we're going to bring in that guest that's going to give us a post-African Liberation Day, African Day uh, report. We'd like to welcome first uh, Brother Bamboshi. Brother Bamboshi, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Hey, thank you, my brother, and thanks to your panelists. It is an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to be on Africa on the Move. And next we'll go to first-time guests, and we are so proud to have our brother from Cameroon. We're going to actually introduce himself to Brother Emmanuel. Welcome to Africa on the, on the Move from Cameroon. Welcome, Brother Emmanuel. Hey, Brother Africa, thank you very much. Um, I'm Chaplain Emmanuel Tangumonkem. I'm a community health youth and development advocate. I'm the executive president of uh, Akadi Cameroon, which is an uh, academic and career development initiative Cameroon. Um, we are very much concerned about uh, brain drain, the movement of our young uh, uh, Africans out of the African continent, and uh, we are working on the career orientation. We believe that reorientation is needed, especially to those that uh, have become so desperate 
uh, look at the challenges that Africa is facing and feel like uh, the solution is elsewhere. And that is why many have ended up uh, losing their lives in the Mediterranean and many have ended up uh, suffering uh, in modern-day slavery in, um, in, in, in Asia or in the Middle East. Uh, so together with uh, the Pan-African movement, African Rising, which essentially is a movement that includes um, uh, African youth that are rallying together towards uh, uh, decrying the situation, the deploring situation that our youth are, are facing uh, as they move out there within the context of uh, neocolonialism. We are rising to uh, call on the attention of uh, African youth towards uh, coming together to, to, uh, to network back at home to be able to make their dreams come true. We are not against people traveling to see places, but we are essentially saying that if it has to do with succeeding in life, there is a possibility for us to build Africa. And Africa will not be built by, by the hands of other persons. Uh, Obama said in 2009, and I quote, he said, Africa, uh, Africans, uh, Africa's problem can be solved by Africans themselves. So we should be able to put our hands together, our hands on deck, and then deal with the issue squarely. That's why I'm here. I'm so glad to be on the panel tonight. And we are honored to have you on this panel tonight, Brother Emmanuel. Right now, what we're going to do at First Segment is what's going on in your world and the community. We can use this segment to talk about African Liberation Day, African Day. We have invited these individuals to come and share with the listening audience and the world on the success, the sheer success of their African Liberation Day. We first can start off with a report from Anthony Williams, and he's going to talk about the nature of his organization and the nature of their African Liberation Day this year and how do he determine the successfulness of it. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Uh, thanks for having me once again. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. We are a mass-based Pan-African political uh, party based in Africa. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Uh, this year, we held our 43rd commemoration of the 61st anniversary of African Liberation Day and 71st anniversary of Palestine Day on May 18, 2019, as a Pan-African International Revolutionary Podcast Symposium. Our theme was Generations of Resistance and Revolts, Rebellions and Revolutions as Illuminated in Cuba, Haiti, Libya, Palestine, and Venezuela. Smash the repression industrial complex worldwide, remembering and honoring the birthdays of Ho Chi Minh and Malcolm X. And we dedicated uh, our African Liberation Day Palestine commemoration to the masses of struggling and uh, suffering people worldwide, particularly the women and youth who have contributed so much 
over the centuries to the eradication of all forms of oppression to bring about a liberated and unified Africa and a liberated world. And uh, we, uh, we chose to honor uh, Malcolm X and Ho Chi Minh on their birthdays uh, for their uh, contributions uh, to world humanity uh, the struggle to to achieve Pan-Africanism and scientific socialism. And Anthony, I understand this time was the first time y'all did a podcast. Um, why did you chose to do a podcast, and what kind of impact do you think you may have had on the African communities throughout the world? Uh, we chose to to do an international podcast. Uh, to make our program more accessible to those people who do not either uh, have the health or resources to travel to African Liberation Day. And I think our impact is that it made it accessible, uh, you know, on a, 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 as a permanent historical and people can refer back to it for information and uh, we hope that those that have listened to our podcast are inspired to increase their level of uh, political activity on behalf of the people and we we, we strive go ahead I'm sorry and the nature of the participants that involved themselves this year at uh, African Liberation Day I understand you highlight at least five countries and what was the significance of these countries as relates to the movement of the people? Okay, the significance of these countries is that these are the countries that are uh, that are, are bearing uh, the brunt and are in the crosshairs of imperialist domination at the present moment. That's why we chose to highlight Cuba, Haiti, Libya. Palestine and Venezuela. We had uh, representatives uh, from uh, uh, from Venezuela, Cuba, the Congo, Haiti, and uh, and uh, uh, and uh, Canada and the U.S. in support of the uh, struggles in Cuba, and also analyzing the methods of repression. That that are that are being waged by the imperialist countries of the world. Okay, let's move on to Bamboshi. Bamboshi, again, welcome to Africa on the Move. I understand that there was the African Liberation Day in Oklahoma City in the U.S. Can you tell us about the success of African Liberation Day in Oklahoma City and why did you have it? Brother Bamboshi, I thank you, man, love. Uh, let me see, Brother Bamboshi, we're coming to you. We got you now, Brother Bamboshi. You can talk now, Brother Bamboshi. Yes. I think that, first of all, thank you for inviting us. It was important for us to recognize a day that has been celebrated internationally about the struggle that's being waged to eliminate 
colonialism, neocolonialism, Zionism, imperialism, and capitalism from the masses of Africa and African people worldwide. So in Oklahoma City, we had a African Liberation Day at Nappy Roots Books, which was first a day of activity for children. After that, we had a panel discussion that involved four panelists, our brother from the Cuban American Children Foundation, Alberto Jones. I'm sorry, Caribbean American Children Foundation. Alberto is a Cuban American, and he gave us an analysis, especially of what would happen to the masses in Cuba, who, as we all know, are Africans, if the United States, through Trump, uh, Bolton, and his henchmen, continue on the path towards war, especially war against Venezuela and war against the rest of the world. Uh, he gave us a very good analysis of how it's impacting Cuba now and how it would impact Cuba much worse in the future. We had Sister Izili Dante from the Asian Lawyers Network who talked about the role of the U.S. and the U.N. in the struggle in Haiti against the Haitian people and especially the role they played after the earthquake in Haiti and continue to play today. We had Brother Osei, who spoke about Malcolm X and gave a very good history of Malcolm and Malcolm's involvement in the movement and in support of the struggle for African nationalism in the U.S. Uh, Brother Osei is a representative from the Republic of New Africa. And then I myself was also on the panel, and I gave a brief analysis and history of African Liberation Day, and then we talked about why it's still needed today. And our African Liberation Day, we think, was well attended. We had many different sectors of the community there. We're happy to say that out of that sprang some calls for other type of discussion, political discussions around issues facing the African community today in Oklahoma City, in the state of Oklahoma, one of the most backward states in the country. And uh, we, again, thank you for the opportunity to give you this brief report. And we also want to thank our brother from Cameroons, and Brother Anthony for giving us reports on African Liberation Day in their locations. Okay, now we're going to Brother Emmanuel for Cameroon. He's going to give us his report on African Liberation Day, Freedom Day, and then we'll have some questions for all three of y'all as it relates to African Liberation Day. Brother Emmanuel, the mic is yours. Yes. Share with us the Thank success you. of African Liberation Day. Thank you, Brother. Um, actually, this is a 
the very, very first time we succeeded to get uh, young people together to talk about uh, the third, uh, the African uh, Liberation Day. Uh, we had long weeks of activity, and now with a challenge of uh, the sociopolitical crisis, the anglophone crisis that uh, we're facing in Cameroon at the moment, uh, becomes very difficult to even get people come together. Uh, one phenomenon we realize is that many of our young people are increasingly getting exposed to the social media. So we're able to begin by engaging them by establishing a WhatsApp platform where we began uh, sharing questions and uh, towards the day. And uh, we had uh, close to 60 or more uh, youth, youth uh, that were able to connect with us, even as we relate with other uh, African youth on different platforms. So yesterday, we had uh, close to more than 20 young persons who, who gathered. Uh, just to mention that the day before, that was a Friday, I was at the university at uh, the Faculty of Health Sciences, where I gave a talk to uh, the students who, who were honoring the International Nurses Week. And uh, I was talking to them about the, the current challenges we are facing in the community and how much uh, how, uh, the, the, the impact that is created on our health system for those of them who graduate from school and instead of uh, going to the community to assist and uh, moving out. So yesterday, our activity was uh, uh, on the theme, uh, Africans not for sale. Stop slavery and human trafficking. Africans not for sale. Stop slavery and human trafficking. In the program, I was I gave a rundown about uh, the movement uh, Africans rising, how so uh, uh, the Kilimanjaro declaration that was adopted uh, just two years ago by by a group of African youth that met in um, Kenya. We discussed about uh, the necessity to get young Africans to come together towards making us feel the, uh, the, the breeze of what happened at independence. And gradually the movement has been able to cut across and we in Cameroon are getting involved. And then after that, we had a series of uh, discussions. We're looking at uh, the, 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 the modern day slavery uh, through the through of the brain drain phenomenon. So we're asking questions like, who are those who are leaving Africa? Who are those who facilitate their departure? Why are they leaving? Where are they going to? What are the things that they are going there to, to get? And what are the dangers that they face when they go to such places? How can we uh, be able to retain Africa's youth to stay back home? And uh, in the course of the discussions, we realized that mostly those who are leaving are young people. And these are young people who are dissatisfied by the new patrimonialism that we now see in our, in our political system. These are young people who are, who are jobless. These are young people who are adventurous. Most of them don't even know what they want in life because they lack orientation. Many have been taught that a blue collar job a, 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 a blue collar job is supposed to uh, not be what they should be able to 
to, to get in line. Uh, we have been oriented right from primary school that uh, the best thing you could ever get in life is to get to where you could become either a, a, a great politician or a medical doctor, a pilot. I mean, giving them very, very high dreams, uh, not seeing the practical realities in the community. So they are looking forward to, to going to places where they could make money uh, for themselves and many eventually never come back. Uh, we also realize that the challenges that these young people face at home is, uh, is, is so, uh, a very deplorable issue because while they're struggling to move out, they have to spend, parents have to sell them parcels of land, impoverish themselves with the hope that when these young people cross over to America or to Europe, they're going to labor, get money, and help them settle bills. At the end of the day, we most, well, very, very few come back. I would like to maybe round up at this point by reading a, a statement that one of the young people wrote yesterday. And this, this shows exactly the situation that uh, we have with Africa's youth. And this is what he says. He says, Africa, change depends on you. If you believe you are needed for the change of Africa, then you will start the light. Systems may always be bad. Actually, they are bad. People may always have perverse and selfish mindsets, but how do you make this system work for you? That should be your concern. Look at the countries you are admiring to go to. What makes them different? See Rwanda and Uganda. Much is going on there now because men have refused to depend on systems. We talk a lot. We do a lot of analysis. We do much right criticisms but little action. That is what the neo-colonialist mindset has taught us on our, on our TV screen. We see a lot of debates going on, but there little, uh, very little action done. Until Africans start working, we will have no significant change and certainly go to places where men have worked already. My friends, the weak Cameroonian business system has lots of leakages that we can maneuver and do great business. But because of too much criticism, we don't see peace and we keep complaining. Stop talking and get to work and make the Africa you want. So at the, at the moment, we were able to draft some resolutions that included the steps that we, as young people, who are ready to take. I'm so happy that at the end of the meeting, uh, every single uh, participant saw the need to be able to build Africa. And traveling out of Africa to only be as a secondary option towards maybe for, for a reason to study something that's not available back at home or for a reason to, to go on a tour just that we see Europeans and Americans visiting Africa. That, that, is, that is the spirit we are able to, to, uh, uh, to engage our youth in. And that gives us great joy. Uh, we will not uh, leave out the great support that we received from our Af the African Awareness Association. Uh, the youth were very, very thrilled yesterday when we, we got the call from uh, uh, Brother Lee, and uh, it was so exciting. We read the message, the, the emails that were sent to us by Bambose, and uh, we are so very much encouraged. We had a phone call as well yesterday from Madame Céline, uh, who happens to be in the headquarters in Yaoundé, and for obvious 
reasons where we are in Bamenda with the insecurity she couldn't make it for the event she would have really loved to be part of it live but she had the opportunity to communicate with the rest of the team through uh, the telephone okay I have a question for all three of y'all and my question is understanding that Africa liberation is institution how can we make Africa become relevant to the lives of every African around the world. What can we do to create that, that climate to make Africans around the world realize African has some relevance to their lives? I'll start with you, Brother Anthony, first, your response to my question. I think it, I think it starts with uh, teaching our youth our history. That uh, that no, uh, uh, that no matter where, where where we live or are born, our ultimate our only true homeland is Africa. And uh, un, uh, uh, let's see. Unfortunately, the med uh, the, the the imperialist media has painted Africa as a very uh, you know uh, uh, given very negative images of Africa. And a lot of Africans in the diaspora and even at home don't want to be associated with it. But we've got to change that uh, through the presentation of our history and the truth about Africa, its resources, and how the world is depending, uh, is heavily dependent upon them for their development. And uh, we have to, uh, you know, change that outlook. And as Malcolm uh, once taught, uh, you know, people, Africans that have a negative uh, perception of themselves generally have a negative perception about Africa and vice versa. So we have to uh, uh, engage in an organizational and political education campaign uh, uh, to, to, to teach our people the truth about Africa and its resources. Brother Bamboshi, how can we make Africa become relevant, relevant to the daily lives of our people? Well, my brother, I'd like to do something different for a minute because I'm okay. sitting here with Sister Camille, who was like in the forefront of pushing that we have to have an African Liberation Day in Oklahoma. We have to because of the Africans here. So let me just give it to her. And listen to her response. Thank you. Okay. Hi. Thank you for bringing me on. In in my opinion, I think that one of the ways that um, Africa can become relevant to Africans in America is by teaching the history and by teaching the economic and political realities of of how power is um, assumed, power is wielded. One example we have of that is, um, does anybody think that the United States' relationship with Israel would be different if it weren't for Jewish Americans and their political power, their wealth, and their political intent insisting upon the United States' uh, relationship with Israel? And the answer is, of course it wouldn't. You know, if Israel existed without, without both the wealth and the power of of Israel, Israel citizens, 
in America because Israel says that all Jews are citizens of Israel. So in that same kind of way, when we are, as Africans in America, fighting our particular struggles, and there are many, one of the things that we can say to our people is look to our motherland as a source of political power and a source of economic power. Think about how different the economy and the political structure of many African nations would be if Africans in America declared themselves as citizens of Ghana, of Angola, of, of you know any nation on the continent, and what that could mean in terms of our not not just its relevance but the amount of power that we're able to wield. So as long as we consider ourselves as individuals and even more erroneously as full-fledged citizens of the United States and ignore Africa as if it's um, an, an archaic relationship. You know, it might be everybody knows that's where we came from, but we don't all recognize its relevance. As long as we're doing that, we're not acknowledging our own power. Once we turn our attention to the continent and to other black people within the diaspora, not only can we lean on them, they can lean on us, and everybody knows that unity um, brings about more power than disunity. Thank you, Sister Camille. Because we have Brother Emmanuel. Brother Emmanuel, how can we make Africa more relevant to the lives of African people on a daily basis? Yeah, thank you very much for the question. I will just uh, start by giving you more testimony. I have an older brother who, who resides in the U.S., and uh, his first daughter was born in Cameroon before he moved to the U.S. for study reasons. And um, when I got a testimony from her, she would tell her friends in the elementary school over there in the U.S., I was born in Cameroon, and I am an African. It is because her father taught her right from the house that never forget your heritage, where you're coming from. I think um, my passion more and uh, my sphere where I work more is with the young people. I think uh, we could organize more networking sessions, networking sessions. Uh, I, I feel very, very much encouraged to be on a panel with uh, fathers or senior brothers who, who have more experience who have encountered a lot with respect to African liberation. And I think if more exchanges like this are done, especially with our younger brothers, our fellow youth who are residing in other countries, if we can have platforms where they, they have the possibility of asking live questions about what's happening in Africa, we could be able to relate to them the realities that are there. And I think uh, uh, if someone were able to leave the U.S., for example, on an exchange trip, to talk to Africans who are residing in Africa about the realities of what is happening to our fellow brothers and sisters out there, I'm also very sure this is going to discourage a lot of those who have been brainwashed uh, because of the negative media, what has been said about Africa. We have been told that the older people are wicked, they have nothing to offer, that generation needs to die. So many of our younger generations are, are, are trying to leave with the hope that they may return only in about 20, 30, 
40 years' time when the older generation must have given way. And that is why things are not changing. That is why there is no, that is why many younger persons are not developing any interest in entering even the political setup in order to change things. So I think uh, this, the education and sensitization is very, very important for people to, to know. That, that's what I will, uh, I will uh, greatly encourage. Okay, before I go to my panelists, they have some questions and comments for y'all. You made me think of something just now, Brother Emmanuel. I would like to address this question to Brother Bamboshi and Brother Anthony. Speaking of the reality of what life is like for African people in the United States, can you share with our brothers and sisters in Africa and speak to the youth on what is the reality, from your perspective, of life in the United States as being an African? Brother Bamboshi and then Brother Anthony. I didn't really hear the question. Uh, could you repeat that question, brother? The question is, I would like for you all to speak to Africans back home, particularly youth, as you address the issue of what is the reality, what is life like living in the United States being an African? The brother Marion just made a statement that it would be helpful if they would get more of a concrete perspective of life in the United States for Africans, particularly the youth need to know this, so they won't be so mesmerized thinking the best place you can go is come to America. Many times people don't know the reality of what's going on with Africans in this country. I'm saying from your perspective, how would, you descri- how would you describe the realities of life in the United States? I, I would say that life for the African in the United States is not too much different from the life of the Africans in this hemisphere, period. The Africans in Venezuela, the Africans in uh, Colombia, the Africans in Peru, the Africans in Nicaragua and Mexico and Haiti, they have a very similar life to us in that we are at the bottom of the left. We are at the bottom of the social, political, and economic pyramid. We are the ones who do most of the work, but we are the ones who make the least amount of money. We are the ones who suffer the most. Anytime there's a shortage, we're the first to know because we're the first to suffer from this shortage. So there, there is this broad similarity that I'm sure is also similar to the issues we struggle with and suffer from on the continent. And because of that, we can see why we have to have a broad-based international struggle a struggle for Pan-Africanism, per se, that will solve these problems, not just for the Africans in America, but for Africans wherever they exist in the world. Because we know once Africa is united and the resources in Africa goes towards the benefit of the African, it will put us, no matter where we are in the world, in a different perspective in an entirely different social, political, and economic situation. And that's why we have to struggle for African unity no matter where we are. Brother Anthony, your response? Yes. Um, 
I would say that life for the masses of African people in the U.S., as Brother Bambosh indicated, is fairly similar uh, to life of the masses uh, of the masses of African people uh, throughout the diaspora, uh, where uh, uh, we we face uh, racism, uh, you know, uh, religious persecution in some cases. And in all social economic indices, we're at the bottom of the uh, social economic ladder. And uh, people who immigrate from other parts of the world uh, often find it very difficult to travel, let alone sustain themselves in, uh, inside the U.S. Unfortunately, uh um, a lot of the portrayals of the U.S. are controlled by the U.S. ruling class, and they don't and they don't tell the truth that the that that the bulk of their wealth is built on the backs of the uh, of African and indigenous people. Uh, they steal the land from the indigenous people, exploit their labor, and and use Africans as a supply of cheap labor. And that is the condition that Africans throughout the diaspora find themselves. Let, let me add just one thing. May I just add one thing quickly? That what our brother in the Cameroon, Brother Emmanuel, mentioned holds true for us also. We're woefully ignorant of the reality of Africans in Africa as a people here in the United States and in most of this hemisphere. And so part of our struggle is to bring this consciousness, the consciousness of each other, and the consciousness of the African personality to all our people. And Brother Emmanuel, and can you talk to the Af- Emmanuel, can you talk to the Africans of the United States and throughout the Western Hemisphere? What, what would life be like when they decide to come back home? And how would they be treated as relates to our brothers and sisters when they enter into, let's say, come back to Cameroon? Thank you very much for uh, that question. Really, um, statistics show that if things should uh, continue and accelerate, Africa is going to become the number one uh, place where investors are going to be rushing to. There's already a lot of clamoring, although our political leaders are too quick, in my opinion, to sign uh, contracts with uh, China and, uh, and the like. Uh, Africa, um, I will talk from the perspective of uh, my, my bro- sister-in-law who, who landed at the airport, Douala International Airport, uh, just a couple of years ago, and when she stepped out of the airplane, she said, wow, fresh air. I haven't had this for quite a long time. It's important for those in America to realize that the level of pollution that uh, is existing probably in other continents isn't yet a problem in Africa. We still have very much of our natural environment to preserve. There is still much of forest. There is still much of uh, desert landform for people to, uh, unfortunately, the media 
uh, project more about the touristic aspect of it. But there is enough land for every African who is out, who wishes to come back home, to invest in agriculture, to be able to, to build quality houses. And there, is, there is enough space. We are very hospitable. I would, I would quite say um, I appreciate so much the, 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 the uh, it is cultural, the cultural aspect of Africa. It's difficult to wake up in the morning and uh, move out of your house without saying hello, good morning to your neighbor. But I'm sure out of, out of Africa, many people spend years without being able to greet even their neighbors because everyone is running the rat race. It's, uh, it's quite busy. But here at home, there is solidarity. We still believe in the notion of family. We still believe in the notion of living together. We still believe in the notion of, of supporting one another. And it, it, it's quite fun. And a few years back, there's this movement that began when we saw Africans in diaspora, especially African-Americans, who were able to, to start tracing their roots, nowhere from which part of Africa they actually came from, and uh, they're able to make trips back home. It, it, it's so exciting for Africans to have our brothers and sisters who who've come uh, who can be able to come back home in order to identify themselves with us. I would also like our brothers in the diaspora to, to understand that gone are those days when we used to feel more like money comes from abroad. Well, gone are those days when many Africans used to feel more like they have to wait for wait for to receive a phone call from from uh, from abroad. It, uh, the the world is getting more and more a global place, and the best place for someone to be able to stand sure is uh, in Africa. We believe you talk with more authority when you're talking from your from your base, and Africa is the best place for us to be able to 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 be. I would like to also say that uh, we have grown in Africa. We have schools. We have schools uh, up to the university. People can specialize in different domains that are relevant for, for Africa. Uh, however, we may have some, some shortcomings in our system, especially with respect to orientation, which is lacking at, at the very, very base. But if our, if our brothers in Africa, uh, African brothers who are out of the continent can arrange to make trips back home, wherein maybe for a short period of time they may come, visit some schools, uh, try to introduce some new ideas to, to, our, to our brothers, and we are sure we're going to pick up faster. Okay. What we're going to do right now, we're going to go to our panelists. They may have some questions or comments they would like to ask, ask you as it relates to African Liberation Day, and it's a question of coming together as a family. We go with Brother Haki. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Yeah, I'd just like to ask uh, the brother in Cameroon uh, the status of African Day, you know, throughout Cameroon. I just want to know if it's popular throughout the Cameroon. All right, thank you very much. Um, African Liberation Day um, is essentially, for now in Cameroon, essentially an issue run by youth. We had uh, four different events that were held yesterday by four different youth organizations in different parts of uh, the country. That is both in the English-speaking part of the country as well as uh, the French-speaking part of the country. Uh, I would like us to understand that uh, we feel more as Africans than uh, members of different 
belonging as citizens of different countries. Yeah, because Africa is so unique. We have many tribes, many different languages. But we, the African spirit is very, very much uh, alive. And um, these youth organizations are, are doing their very best to make sure that we, we push this across to the other persons. Sadly, it's an issue in the hands of young people, young people who are struggling on their own, uh, probably without any pra uh, practical mentorship back at home, trying to put our heads together, talk to each other, find ways in which we could be able to help ourselves because we, uh, we are tired of those that uh, pick stones and shot at uh, the older generation. We still feel we have respect for our fathers, but while we don't, while we want things to change and improve, we don't want our children to grow up and shoot uh, and throw stones at us as well. So we are, we are bent on making sure this generation begins to think differently and act differently. So yes, it's, uh, it's new among us, and uh, we are spreading it. That is more of a youth uh, affair in, uh, in Cameroon. Anything else, Brother Haki, you'd like to raise or share with the audience? No, that's, Brother Haki. No, that's good, Brother. Okay, let, let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, any question or comments you have for our guest today? I think it's it's great that uh, um, the Oklahoma brothers were able to, brothers and sisters were able to celebrate African Liberation Day and, uh, and uh, uh, I hope that they continue that tradition. Uh, um, I really don't have any questions at the moment I can think of. Uh, uh, I just hope that the struggle continues. Thank you. Okay, let's go to our sister Celine, who's been waiting here patiently. She's also from Cameroon. Based upon what you heard, sister Celine, are there any comments you'd like to share with our listening audience? Or any questions you may have as it relates to African Liberation oh. Day or what's going on in Cameroon? Celine. Oh, my brothers, I'm very happy to be amongst you this, uh, this evening. Uh, African Liberation Day, I couldn't go because of the crisis to Bamenda. I wanted to be there, but it wasn't easy. But besides that, um, I had another occasion here in Yaoundé, the Award of African Women. Uh, the, Af the Award of African Women was in Cameroon, and I was so involved here in Yaoundé. So that's one of the things that also contributed hindering me from going to Bamenda. Uh, you know that the African women, too, are struggling in their own little way for African liberation. And this year, they decided to acknowledge what African women have been doing by giving them some awards. So awards were given to women from all over the African continent, from different, different countries here in Cameroon. We slept. We stayed the whole night and came back around 3 a.m. in the morning. It was wonderful. It was a great day. The first African Awards Day 
that has ever taken place in Africa. So I want to say that as the youth are struggling, the women are also struggling. The women were awarded politically. Those who have struggled to fight wars, those who have struggled in sports, those who are good administrators, I mean, the, the, the awards were so many. It was a wonderful night. Uh, I want also to contribute that what can help us in Africa is, uh, especially concerning the youth, is that when you give a fish, the Chinese man says, when you give a fish to somebody, you continue to give the fish, and the person will never be satisfied. But when you teach somebody how to catch a fish, the person will be able to catch fishes every day for his or herself for life. I think uh, our brothers and sisters in the diaspora, if they can come back to Africa, as Emmanuel was saying, and invest in Africa, maybe in technology, training the youth in some aspects that they don't know, training them on how they can fend for themselves. It will stop the brain drain in Africa. And our brothers and sisters who have technology, good technology out there, they can bring it back to Africa and invest in Africa so that Africa can develop. Our problem is that Africa is not developed. If we had many, oh, let me say, many factories producing this and that and employing our youth, they will not go out of Africa. Is that they lack jobs? Is that they are not trained on how they can create jobs for themselves? So I think uh, that is a tool that can be given to our youth uh, to stop them from thinking that they can only go out of the country to have the best for themselves, that they can also be able to have the best for themselves in Africa. Thank you very much. I've been listening to you people. I've been listening to all, <laughs> to all what you have, you have been saying. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be a part of uh, the Block 2 the, the Radio. I'm happy to be a part. I'm happy to hear Bambusi, to hear Bamuses and everybody. Thank you for your comments, Sister Celine. In closing, my final question to all three panelists or guests, as it relates to African Liberation Day, it's an institution that seek unity for all Africans. It also is a revolutionary institution that's seeking change from the status quo. Now, my question at this point in time is, what practical things can Africans do in the diaspora to further integrate themselves with the Africans back home and vice versa? I saw along with you, Brother Anthony. Any ideas, practical things where we can really um, uh, incorporate ourselves more intrinsically back home with brothers and sisters and vice versa? Yes. Uh, let's see. I think... Um there, there are means, I think, because of advances in technology, it's easier for Africans 
in different parts of the world to communicate with each other. I think uh, I think uh, you, you know, uh, uh, friending, uh, befriending Africans from different parts of the world is something uh, uh, you, you know uh, you know that's possible to do. Try to learn more about Africans in other parts of the world if you can. And uh, most importantly, join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. Uh, if you don't like the organizations that exist now, create your own. But uh, but 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 uh, but all Africans must be organized. That's critically important because our enemy enemies exploit our lack of organization to keep us oppressed. So I would say uh, political education, organization, and having an open mind are, are, are key things that people can do in order uh, and try to learn more about Africa, its uh, history, its resources, and, 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 and the people. Okay, Brother Bamboshi, your suggestion? How can we further integrate ourselves back home and vice versa on a practical basis? What can we do? Well, I think that African Liberation Day gives us a opportunity. And I'm happy that the AAPRP was able to hold and continue African Liberation Day after 1976 when the initial coalition that was organized in African Liberation Day kind of fell apart. And the AAPRP was able to hold on to African Liberation Day and kept it live and in the spirit of the people at least until the late 1980s when it became more far-reaching and more universal. And now today, you have a number of organizations that's organizing for African Liberation Day. We must even admit that some of these organizations that are organizing African Liberation Day might be doing it to sabotage the unity of Africa. Nevertheless, African Liberation Day has never belonged to the AAPRP. African Liberation Day is a day for Africans, and as such, it helps to raise the consciousness but we must not just leave it to African Liberation Day. We ourselves have to consciously go out to organize our people. Our people suffer from lack of organization and lack of political consciousness, and we have to develop both. Thank you. And Brother Emmanuel, what can we do to better integrate ourselves among each other and back home and vice versa? Practically, give us some ideas. Yes, um, I want to suggest that um, as we take home, maybe more Africans out there should be considering taking a short trip back to Africa, talk to my behalf and uh, the behalf of other young people. I'm sure we are very ready to accommodate anyone who would like to travel back to have an experience back at home. Uh, I think that's what we should start considering. Another key thing is that um, 
because of uh, the lack of uh, support that many young people have, uh, we become prey to the, the offers that are existing outside there. Uh, let's 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 try to find out how do we expect Africans to be free if all our uh, uh, funding of projects, for example, is still being done by the neo-colonialists. Uh, I'm still to come across Africans who have regrouped themselves, maybe from the diaspora, and maybe are doing valuable things back at home. Uh, I mean, on a I think we just lost the brother, but quickly in closing, before we move on with our next guest, Sister Sophia, we're going to talk about human rights and this whole question of elimination of populations. But in closing, Brother Anthony, for people who want to find out more about your organization and support your work, how can they do this? Certainly. They can visit our website at www.a hyphen aprp hyphen gc dot org there they can find out uh, more information about our party the all african people's revolutionary party gc as well as listen to the podcast of uh, our previous african liberation day and uh, learn more about the history of our party and our program which is to build a massive cadre that can bring about the all-African People's Revolutionary Party to achieve Pan-Africanism, a unified socialist Africa. Okay, Brother Bamboshi, how can people help support the work that you are doing and the African Liberation Day that takes place also on the early basis now in Oklahoma City? How can they support your work? Well, we we would ask people to support us by supporting themselves, by doing many many things could be done. For example, uh, we are a bookstore, Nappy Roots Books, and we accept books donations because it's a nonprofit bookstore, and the books help the other projects of the store. I think that. In terms of people in general, I would call for organization, and I would call for definitely a thorough, uh, organized-based political education. Okay. We thank everybody for their contribution and report for a post-African liberation day. Right now, you're listening to Africa on the Move. We're going to a station break. And when we come back, we're going to bring on Sister Sophia. She's going to talk about this issue of human rights and this whole question of elimination of population. We can come back and have the discussion. Right now, we're going to pause for this cause, and we will be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Identity 
Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Kimba You're an African So don't you where you come from
things regarding human rights uh, violations basically stood up. On top of it, I come from a family of um, scientists. My grandfather was actually a molecular scientist. On top of it, he was a dentist, and he was um, um, head of an um, Iranian agricultural bank in Tehran, and that was the capital a long time ago. When I was little, it's amazing because I just remembered these things, even though I remembered it, but I never thought about it. So my story story happened, um, I started happening in 2007. When I was little, my grandfather always had me under, literally he would buy me microscopes if, you know, uh, I would like ruin it because I was five, six years old, you know, don't know what you're doing. But he would t- tell me about, you know, cells. I didn't know what a cell was, not even that. I just didn't pay attention, but he always kept bringing um, things under the microscope to teach me what, you know, um, you know, in Iran, we call it microbe. In America, they call it microbes. It's the same thing. And cell, and in Iran, would be cell, and in here would be cell. But the way I was taught was, I guess you call it in a simple term, I wasn't taught big words, you know, and... um, I was taught, like, how it things causes diseases. I remember when I was little, he always kept telling me, you know, uh, uh, toothpastes are not good because it's got sugar on it. And I remember my grandmother constantly telling me, like, too much sugar is bad. Sugar is not really that much good. And um, um, and on top of it, he always had me brush my teeth with baking soda to the point later on I found out way later on. I found out 2008 later Find, found that that actually liquid form baking soda can actually cure cancer and that I found that it is actually the main cause of uh, uh, fungi that actually grows and causes literally every disease. Now, what's interesting, I came to this country when I was 13 years old. Um, my story starts 2007, but it seems like there's some kind of connection. I found out later that happened to me when I was 13. Now, when I came from Iran, I didn't have no allergies with nothing. Uh, I didn't have no asthma. I didn't have nothing. I wasn't bloated. I wasn't like a normal girl. Um, What's interesting, I moved in a building in uh, Minnesota. I moved in here when I was uh, 13 years old. This was when the uh, the revolution was starting in Iran. I think it was 1977, I think, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm really, I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. But it, when I was when I was like 13, 14 years old, I was, I came over here. I noticed uh, later on, uh, slowly, when I was uh, in this building, that I found out later it's the same people that I'm trying to get now, uh, that actually have buildings all over the United States with other people. But um, I noticed I was having, actually, starting having breathing problems when I was in there in this building. I started having nosebleeds a lot. And that means, like, you're basically hemorrhaging, you know. But um, I started basically getting different uh, things, but I didn't know what was the cause of it. And my aunt kept telling me, put your nose up, make a story short. I noticed I started having when I was, this is like 14 years old. I was 14, 15 years old. I was starting to, like, lose a little bit of my hair, and that's not normal. And she kept telling me, no, you know, it's normal for you to lose hair. I've never heard of that in Iran before. Later on, finding out it's a lie that they tell you you're supposed to lose 100 a day or, you know, you're just fat or, you know, you're too thin. Let's say anorexia. I found out, my God, these are all literally, all these diseases are stemming from these microbial agents and fungi that actually are only the cause of measles, like in Chicago, that they're talking about it. 
but they come up with the name Rebolia, and that would be like a sun dry. But actually, anything that gets sweat, dry, and uh, the air is bad, it will instantly cause things to get bad, and it will cause an infection. And when you start breathing it, that's what they say becomes dormant, and these mycotoxins are the ones you breathe in it. Making a story short, the building management's name was Stuart Cole, uh, Stuart Cole, uh, now, but it was Stuart Management Corporation a long time ago, and I found that I actually have buildings all over the United States, and they changed names. They're part of this, what they call multi-housing association, so literally they own townhomes, uh, apartments, literally, all over the United States. They work with pharmaceutical companies. They work with McDonald's, Ronald McDonald, but couldn't believe it. But, you know, you don't know if there's a connection, but for me, coming from my kind of background, all these conspiracies, you think, well, maybe maybe that's why they put so much salt in the, in the uh, McDonald's because uh, when you're exposed to these fungi where you're living at inside your homes, it eats either it causes you to have so much salt or so much sugar, and it causes you to get ill because your body has its own salt. So imagine if you add so much salt or so much sugar. Well, it causes the imbalance of your body, you know, or the fungi that you're exposed to. I found out, oh, my God, it is a cause of the changing of a DNA. You know, this why I found this out later, even though I knew about it when I was little, but I knew about microbial things. So what happened was I was getting all these um, illnesses when I was in this apartment later on past that I just never thought about it growing up, just growing up, going to school. But at the time I was really active. I was exercising and, you know, I would roller skate. So basically exercising, it causes the inform- endorphins, I guess, to get all excited and it causes the body to, you know, breathe a little bit better because you're constantly outside, so you're getting fresh air. Now, the only cause of aging, the only cause of aging, and I really have think the United States actually found, finding out later that actually knows about these agents that are from indoor air, the only cause of diseases, literally the main causes of diseases, and the fungi that now they've been spraying in the air, that what they call, I guess they call it chemtrails. Um, they're actually fungi that actually is delicate enough to not kill a bird. I don't know if you guys remember a long, long time ago there, the, some birds were flying. I think what they were doing, they were just trying to test to see if they sprayed in the air, how much of it is going to, let's say, dry out the, the trees but not kill the birds so people don't get scared, think what's going on. And they came up with some kind of an excuse. Actually, what it is is we check on, um, chemtrails, uh, my, microbial agents, you should be able to find out about it. Because animals and t- uh, uh, trees and uh, flowers are extremely delicate. Now, my story is 2007, I moved in in an apartment building that I started having strange symptoms I've never, ever had in my whole life. And I was 43 years old. What's interesting is I looked extremely young. I had a perfect figure. I mean, everything, excuse my language, was perfect. Um, everything, I guess what they call it, it was in the right place. When I started to notice, started noticing I was having what they call headaches. In America, they call it migraine headaches. There's no such a thing as a migraine. It's a mycotoxin that causes these things to happen. You get headaches. They're very, very dangerous. It was used as a biological weapon. Now, if you check on a doctor, if you have anybody checks on Dr. William 
craft. Now, if you put what they call trichosacin mycotoxin, you put it's a tiazotam. If anybody wants wants to write it down, tiazotam R I C H O tiazotam H E C E N E. They call it trichosacin, and it's mycotoxins M Y C O T O X I N. Trichosacin mycotoxins was used as a biological warfare. It was used in Vietnam, you know, yellow rain. Finding out, basically, makes a story short, I was literally getting sick, and I know it. I, I, what happened is I moved in literally thousands of dollars, half a million dollars worth of property. I've traveled all over the world. I came from a different kind of background. Um, I had quarter million uh, dollars worth of jewels about in my, in my travels from Dubai, uh, Turkey, uh, in Japan. I have pros. I had to literally draw them. So, and then on top of it, I had sent some pictures. So, don't think I was lying about being part of the pictures that I was able to pick up. I started getting sick. My dog, literally, when we moved in, started having certain symptoms I've never seen her have. I had a beautiful American Eskimo. She was a showpiece, and I noticed she was blinking. And later on, I realized, oh my God, we were literally breathing biological contaminants that actually are the only cause of every disease. And is the only cause of high blood pressure, is the only cause of diabetes, is the only cause of what they call, I had a blood clot, some people say. Um, because when these parasites and fungi, when they become airborne, okay, I'm telling you guys this in, a, in a way so you can understand. I don't know any big words. It's just I was taught like this by my grandfather. And one of the scientists I was working with, like Dr. William Croft, he he had a stroke, and this is the cause of it too. Um, the fact is, the buildings that they they've been building throughout the years, um, they've known about it. Like I said, for the past thirty uh, years, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but uh, there is a guy. If you check on him, the the book's name is "They're Poisoning Us." The guy's name is Arnold Mann. M-A-N-N. Now, what's interesting, New York Times had him to do a research on something like that because a lot of people were complaining about mold. Uh, Mr. Trump knows about it, too, you know. And what's interesting is throughout the years, African Americans have died so much from this, gotten so sick from it. And you know what? It's the only cause of people killing people. It's the cause of people saying, you know, uh, Something told me to go kill my child, for example, or somebody told me to go kill people. It's, I found out, oh, my God, it's all in the Bible. It is all in the Bible. Literally, if you go from the New Testament, if you read it till the end, because Christ kept saying unleavened, the leaven of the Pharisees. And I found that, like, that's why they've known about it for the past 30 presidents. That's why they keep shoving sugar at people in this country, shoving bread at people in this country, shoving uh, cakes and uh, all these things at people. On top of it, including pigs actually cause diseases. A lot of people don't know that. They don't even tell people. And pork. And they've been giving African-Americans pork constantly to people, uh, to them a long time ago, even, you know, in the, in the South and everything. Later on, they've known it. It, is, it causes diseases more. So, like, in the, you know, they call it in the Chicago area, for, like, in the low-income areas. I remember I was a, a firefighter. He actually said that there's some children, they, even before they get to 
um, to the hospital, they turned blue because of an asthma attack. What's interesting, I've actually had an asthma attack. I've never had one in my whole life when I moved in this building. What happened is when I moved in, like I said, I started getting all these illnesses. Um, weird things were happening to me. That time I was a size 6. And I noticed very, very slowly, and you know, these just don't happen to you. All of a sudden you get things slowly, things happen. These things have to go in your body. Within an hour of exposure, if it depends on the, how the building is, how, is how much mold it's got, within an hour of your exposure, these things are in your body. And that's why everywhere you go, you go what they call cross-contamination because you're constantly being exposed. That's where you see people in offices. They're sitting in there. They go like this <coughs> or like constantly coughing. So the doctor says, oh, you have a cold. It's not a cold. It's a virus that actually that's the bacteria in the building causes it. It goes in the lungs. It attaches itself in the mucous membrane. And then what it does is it causes tooth decay. It causes tooth loss. It causes you to get old is the only cause of you to get old. It causes speech impediment. It causes uh, diarrhea. It causes literally 200 or more diseases. Now, what's interesting, the pharmaceutical companies, they know about it. They know people are dying because of this. So they're trying to, it seems like, eliminate people. Let's say if they've known about it for the past 30 prisons, what does that mean right there? Because they're trying to eliminate people. They know about it. These microbial agents, that's why they're like, oh, well, since we're going to be having them in these buildings with these sheet rocks, that's why if you look at your ceiling in general in your house or your apartment, if you look at your ceiling, they, they call it the popcorn look, actually because mold causes bubbles in the ceilings when it rains. causes bubbles and you can't push it away, seeping through, seeping through. And then what happens is it starts bubbling. So what they found out in the waste is when they put these things in there in the ceiling, these bubbles, it's going to, you're going to not notice it because it's mixed up with other garbage, basically, that the ceiling is made of. If you look at your corner of your building, corner of your um, ceiling, if you're right now at your house, if you look at it, if your house is more than one years old, any house that is built in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you are going to have mold, and you should not at all have any kind of a basement. So what happened was when they found out this management, when they found out what I know and did not know where I come from, talk about racism, they treated me so bad. They did everything to get me out of the building, and I had literally moved them, like literally a mansion. Like I said, I have pictures of it, Persian carpets, mahogany pieces, fur coats, um, you know everything, um, and they did everything to get me out of um, out of my building, including I was illegally. We found that it was set up by a guy named Bob Bloomberg. He set up the courts for me to get averted not to go to court while I actually I was over there, and they seems like they um, the news would not take my story. What's interesting, they've actually taken other people's story, and we thought it was odd. Why wouldn't they take my story? So we all these things basically happened. I found that the Department of Human Rights would not do it. And what I've been calling it, I've been saying this is a violation of human rights because the Department of Health in that area would not come and help me. So people kept saying, you got to get this in the media. you got to have people help you. We need to have not one attorney help me. Those so the people in the building right now, they have no idea the building is infested so bad that I had a woman literally, um, when I was able to wear suits at that time, 
she would grab me literally and grab me. She kept saying, Sophia, please help my daughter. I'm scared she might die in this building. The building is really bad. So I was trying to let the people know I was just there only six months, but they prevented me, including the Department of Health in that area, life by the law of the United States, even though there's no laws regarding mold, but I know the laws. You cannot put people in a building that has mold. The building by the law, by the law, needs to be closed because I've seen some buildings around this area, including where it was like a military site, that they had closed the thing. It says because of mold. So if it was dangerous, so they closed it. So I'm trying to get my story out because what they're trying to do is eliminating population. That's what they're really doing, you know. So the pharmaceutical companies, when they're going to come up with different names, uh, they call it, I think, um, um, you got disease mongering or something in English. I don't know what it says. But they're going to come up with different diseases and they say, oh, this person has a rare cancer. Well, you know what? In the Bible, if you look at it, the Bible in Genesis actually talks about, it says God says the fruit of the tree. Every answer of, and the Leviticus law, the Leviticus law um, is in the Leviticus chapter 13, verse, um, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 33, talks about a priest has to go in. When Christ actually healed the leper, because what it is is, the diseases that you're actually having are from the inside. So basically, you're actually having leprosy from the inside, and you can't see it. Then there's what they call leprosy from the outside that you can see. When you're exposed to these things, when you're starting to change, that means instantly the mycotoxins have changed what? The DNA. Everything in your body literally changes. Because when these things start going in your blood and your body, Remember, it, nothing goes out. The blood doesn't go out of your body. What happens is it goes to your brain. It pumps. It goes to your legs. Just imagine your body. You look at it in the mirror and say, okay, I'm exposed to mold. What happens? I'm breathing it through my nose. It goes in my cheek. It starts getting infections in there. That's what they call blackheads. Or you see some you know, teenagers that say, oh, I'm breaking out. It's not only a teenager thing. What it is is the body is actually trying to detox so it's pushing it away. That's what actually it's doing. It's pushing the fungi out. But the body's mechanism is built in a way that God built it so perfectly, and that's why I love God so much, that he built it so perfectly that actually it can clean, cleanses itself. But with this kind of passion, you can't. The highest, so the body doesn't know what to do, and guess what it does? It starts killing itself. That's what they call self cell destruction. So on your Google, if you check on um, cells committing suicide, because when I was thinking, you know, it's, I know you might think I'm crazy, but when I was reading the Bible, God was literally teaching me these things because when I was reading this, the Father, you got to show me, because if it's in Leviticus, it's got to be in the whole Bible. Then I start reading. Then I start reading. Then I go, oh my God, in the Levitical law, that's why he gave us all those laws. And if you look at Genesis, um, Noah's Ark has been documented. Right now it's on Mount, on Mount Ararat in Turkey. So what happened was a long time ago, millions of years ago, or thousands of years ago, whenever um, you know, man was created, what happened was when Noah's Ark literally settled on the top of the mountain, if you go on top of the mountain, on any mountain, you should be able to find petrified uh, clams. 
So what happened was when the ground, the water started receding, if you look at Levit, um, uh, in, um, you know, in the Old Testament, it says uh, it took a certain amount of days for water to recede and go under the ground. What happened was uh, the, uh, under the ground there's the minerals that God actually says, I made you out of dust. What I'm trying to connect it with, with the mold thing, the issue of the fungi that we're exposed to is when God created us um, out of dust, it is true. Every mineral that is in your body that is made when God made us, guess what? It's under the ground, all the minerals. And when mold in these mycotoxins that the mold becomes and spew the mycotoxins, they go like, that's mycotoxin. Okay, so it's like, like this comes out when it becomes dormant. What happens is these mycotoxins start what happens is they start eating literally the, not the vitamins. They actually, it's a mineral, actually. There's no such a thing as what they call a vitamin. It's a mineral. That's what it is. The minerals are taken away. Now, I'm going to teach you something. If you go to your Walgreens or let's say CVS, you go on that site where the pharmacy, pharmacy is. Everything in the pharmacy, if you look at, is connected to the mold exposure, and that's about it, nothing else. And if you go to the, to the, um, I actually talked to a pharmacist. I said, you were taught trichotoxin mycotoxins, weren't you? You know about it. She said, yeah, I do. But then I noticed, oh, my God, they didn't really teach them it comes from indoor air. They didn't teach them if it comes. Oh. They didn't teach them it comes from outdoor air. So these are the basically the cause of it. Uh. Anyway, I'm sorry. Somebody was trying to keep me a call. I'm trying to de- uh, decline. Anyway, so I'm just saying is these were basically the cause of it. So all these diseases stem basically from that. So outside, like I've noticed something, um, these, um, stuff that they spring in the air, basically the micro, um, microorganisms with the, regarding the chemtrails that actually are grown from the inside. It's the same as what's inside indoor air is. These things, when you take your plant outside, they start drying out. And I realized, oh, my God, the rain has such a strong trace minerals can actually literally grow the grass. We can have no grass in here. And as soon as it started raining, it's uh, literally started everything turning green. And then I realized the only strong thing that literally can kill, I'm, I'm sorry, um, to literally can grow the, the grass with all the chemtrails they've been spraying, it was basically the water. That's why if you look at the trees, they look so dehydrated. But if you notice when you start watering it, and it has to be rainwater, why? Because it comes from God, literally. And that's what it is. It comes from above, nowhere else. You notice that the, the, the trees start getting better. They start, like, you know, getting um, leaves. So all this stuff that you've been breathing, and I was breathing uh, from the apartment building, literally caused me to literally change my whole DNA and literally uh, caused me to get, um, to literally blow up. It deformed my breasts deform my stomach, deform my toes on the bottom of it. I lost seven of my teeth, literally. I was put in the street illegally because I was trying to get the people and stand up for the people. And the news intention would not take my story. And so I was literally put in the street with no undergarment, a Donna Karen silk dress, 
$80 pair of shoes. I went everywhere. Nobody would help me. The attorneys kept saying, you need a big law firm from outside Minnesota. And I wasn't able to get any kind of a, uh, any kind of a law firm to help me, to help the people in the building. And this is, mind you, it's a very expensive building. And they have told the people there's nothing wrong. And we have documents that the Department of Health lied. I'm trying to get this at the United Nations. My, the woman that I was working with, um, Hattie Bonds, um, she was helping me to um, produce, um, get me on a video to make some kind of a documentary. And she was with Women's United United Nations. And um, I wanted to tell my story, and I need to somebody tell my story there. Of it's unbelievable. People keep saying you gotta write a book. I started. I found a writer. I promise God I'm gonna do this because I promise I'm gonna stand up for children's health and people and animals. Because my dog literally went blind. Basically, her skin changed, her face changed, my face changed. I went from a beautiful woman to looks like somebody's grandmother. My face blew up, my, everything deformed in my body. I went from totally different human being. I have pictures to another different human being. And this is what it did. So I thought if I can get on radio shows or anything so I can get some help, um, have people, somebody, somebody out there can help me, um, you know, because they they say there's no statute, is this thing regarding a statute of limitation, but I know by the uh, by the law, you cannot put anybody in a building unhealthy on top of it, cover it up, lie to people, say there's nothing wrong with the building. So if we have enough evidence that we can prosecute them, put them in jail. And I've been doing this under the table to see somewhere we can get some help so we can get a huge class action, action lawsuit, plus take this on TV or the news somewhere to get our story because in here intentionally would not get – they actually found that they actually got paid – I guess we call it a donation, like NPR that actually does stories regarding human rights violations. And I'm from Iran. I had the worst of it. People kept saying, I've never heard anything like this. And then a woman from the state capitol, when I talked to her, she said, Get, she couldn't believe what I moved in. When she leaned over, she said, oh, my God, they look expensive. And I said, I told you. She said, this is all. I said, no, I have more. So I just wasn't able to take some pictures. They took pictures of my property, but they've thrown everything, thrown things around. But you can still see it's my apartment. But I had moved in literally a mansion, literally a mansion. I have paintings. They actually said that she has some real nice artwork. I'm sure she's got, it's got great appraisal value. I actually had uh, my grandmother, when we were in Egypt when I was really young, um, way before me, her taking me to Egypt, one of her cell hats on there. In the 40s, um, she was really beautiful, and um, uh, the curator of the Museum of uh, uh, Egypt, Egyptian Museum over there, had given her hieroglyph that's got God knows how much that cost with his handwriting in the back as a gift to her. I don't know what he had written. It was in Arabic, and that was in the kitchen area that I actually had taken picture so I am trying to do this. I've been doing this for years, trying to get my story out, write a book. I um I actually found finally had my writer finish my book, um, but she hasn't put still a lot there, even though it's 583 pages. But I'm I'm having a lot of crazy miraculous things happen too. So you know, um, obviously we have to get that in the book. But the fact is, like. Um, I need to see someone could help me out there 
to get this uh, out on top of it. Um, help me help people because this has been covered up over there, and the, I have enough document I can prosecute, but we got to do this in the right way. Um, like I said, they told people there's nothing wrong with the building. What's interesting, I actually have a paper that they said this is a disgruntled resident. There's no mold in the building. Those I have 300 pictures inside the wall. And not even that, I have a sample of it. Plus, I had hired a guy when I had money to come inside the building and check for the building. And a friend of mine died in the next building. What's interesting, the same guy from the Department of Health went in her building and um, checked. And he said there was no mold. They changed her lease. She died later on. We videotaped her. She was my friend. She kept saying, please help me. I kept telling her. You keep your cross. Keep your cross on. Pray to God. We'll do it. And I have to stand up for her. So I haven't let it go because I know God is great and I know God can do everything. And I've gotten to the point I really don't want to listen to anybody because I know God wanted me to do this. My book's name is A Call From Above and Beyond the Great. It's interesting. I was standing by one of my crosses in my room. My room looks like a shrine. I'm not crazy, but I love God. Um, I'm trust me, I'm extremely sane in what I'm doing. We're going to Chicago with my pastor. And we're going around the uh, nation, all around the United States, to talk about what I'm doing, including he's going to honor people that have done great things for people, but then I can get to talk. So we're going to be documenting, videotaping that so we can put a great resume together. Hopefully we can kind of take this to 60 minute or 2020. So, but it is extremely, okay. extremely dangerous. Sorry, go on, I'm sorry. Yeah, based upon where you live in there and other buildings, are there other individuals that have been impacted similar to your reality dealing yes. with? Yes, uh, yes. But they don't know it, um, uh, Lee. They don't know it. That's the problem. They don't know. They've, they like I, even one of the letters that I send you. It says there's no toxic mold in the building. I send you. I think I did. Um, they, um, they lie to the people. Just lying to the people means they're violating their health. They're viol- violating their human rights. And uh, if you can get prosecuted, prosecuted literally, literally, legally get prosecuted. I actually talked to the, um, I called the FBI, and I, I called actually the uh, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in some other state. She told me, she says, you're kidding me. Nobody did anything. I said, no. She says, you need to call the head of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office. I said, I'm trying to do this under the table because I want to put them in jail. So like I said, we have enough documents. U.S. Attorney's Office will get involved with me. But they said we have to get an attorney, and um, I need I need a very big law firm. Plus, we need to get people get involved with what I'm doing because I have enough documents. But the fact is, I'm worried because Lee is so dangerous. It was used as a bio warfare, and because of what I know, and if you check on it, you could just see yes, it was used as a bio warfare. Microbial agents. Okay, we're going to turn towards the political panelists. Analysts, they may have some questions and comments they'd like to ask you. We'll start with Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, the mic is yours. Brother Africa, uh, let me just ask your sister. Uh, you know, you know, she's absolutely correct. I mean, one of the big problems is that we're all aware of the, 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 the implications of mold. Uh, the problem is, in the context of capitalist America, is that if it doesn't reach a certain threshold, then the mold is, is, is susceptible, and uh, that's problematic. Uh, in, in other words, 
where we would expect them to, to, to clean up the mold because it's a human thing to do, they come from a position that it's not possible to clean up, uh, clean up the mold. And as a result, we have a situation where the law says that, well, if it doesn't reach this threshold, then the, the amount of mold in the uh, structure is okay. So we have a fundamental problem in terms of philosophy. Uh, and I, but I agree that the, the, there's been documented for a long, long time in terms of the impact of mold on, on, on the human body. That's well, well, mm-hmm. well established. But let me ask you this, though. And just in terms of you've been here over 30 years, I'm assuming, correct? Yes. Yes. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, do, do you fundamentally understand in terms of the whole emphasis in American society where money uh, supersedes all of the concerns? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Are you talking yes, about, like, that's... how the United States wants to make money off making people sick, you mean? Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. But in other <laughs> words, the people who control, people who own these properties, are by and large the one percent, and they're making a tremendous return in terms of investment in, in investing in these properties. And so, therefore, yeah. they don't want to, they don't want to engage in anything that's going to undermine that profit. So, therefore, even though they know mold has a, a very a negative impact on the human body, the mere sure. fact that they write the laws. The law says that if it doesn't reach this threshold, then it's okay to have mold in the house. So clearly the, the, the monitor aspect far exceeds the health of the human being. And I think you're absolutely correct. The, the, the whole war of attrition against the people in terms of willingness among the ruling class to eliminate large number of people is very, very clear. And so you talk about the chemtrails, and that's very, very well established as well. So we understand that. So fundamentally we've got a question. The question is, what are you going to do in a society which elevates things and money over the human existence. The question is what can you what can we do? Well this is the thing is um first of all United States even though like you know they've known about this for the for the longest time or something, um you have to understand there's ways of if there's like no laws and everything, they say like you can have a certain amount of mold. That is not true. You cannot build buildings first of all at all with sheetrock. You are at all not supposed to have basements at all, supposed to have basements. Basements are for dead people. I mean, not like basements are for dead people, but that's what we put under the ground. It decays. Anything that comes from under the ground to the top decays, anything, basically. So they're not supposed to be, they were not supposed to be making any kind of a building with any kind of a sheetrock, any kind of these kind of materials, any kind of a basement. So United States, it seems like obviously they're making money with making people sick, but, and I, they say there's like, the, supposedly there's no laws and everything regarding mold and everything. But you know what? There are laws that you're not supposed to be putting anybody in a building that is unhealthy. Now, you know they know that. The corporations, obviously, they know that, right? But they are, if you look at the law books in general, they actually laws. And actually, I cannot even believe it. I actually found a book, for example, that it says, it talks about, for example, what is the Department of Health, uh, you know, thing to do, basically, or what is aiding and abetting is, what is tort law. So it says right there, there's, a, there's, there's a, you know, those numbers, we call it, I don't know how you say it, but there's actually a law on that, there, 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 there. So I want to see if I can somehow, you know, even though my English is not the greatest, I want to see if I can apply that to this, see hopefully if I can get this class action because 
you know what? Months ago, actually, there was a, a lawsuit, 19 or $18 million lawsuit regarding, they said, mold cockroaches. Come on. I, I've lived in Iran. I've seen cockroaches. I've never seen, a, <clears throat> excuse my language, a cockroach make anybody sick. Or in Iran, everybody eats nuts. I have never seen people not being able to eat nuts or kiss till I came over here, you know. But you know what? We don't have any kind of a sheetrock in Iran, never. Our buildings are built totally different. If you look at in Iran, the, the structure of the buildings, how they build it, now I don't know if they're making them cheap now, but how I was raised, how I've seen how they've been building, you know, in Iran, believe me, I've seen 80-year-old, my grandfather was, you know, he had all these basically, the, you know, the bank he had to go to, the clinic he had to go to. I have never seen him limp, never, till the day he died. You see a lot of men over there in Iran, 70 years old, 60-something years old, um, 80-something years old, grown men, older, walking straight, going to the mountains. I was going to the mountains in Iran because there's, uh, you know, you can go to the mountains and there's restaurants all the way up there. You can go, you know, it's just, you know, we live a different kind of life. But then the, the food in here, these corporations are not letting people, first of all, they're treating the animals so bad in here in these, you know, in these places where they have the cows or the pigs or something. It's not humane the way they raise these poor animals, you know. So that's wrong right there. The corporations obviously just don't give a, excuse my language, they don't give a damn at all, you know. So these pharmaceutical companies are just very happy to make more people more sicker so they can make more money, so they can bring more animals in there, abuse the animals, and they don't care if you're white, black, or green, but they really don't care if you're black and my color. You know, and from my kind of background, the um, way I come is I will go against these uh, corporations, you know, because my kind of background, where I come from. And I want to use my story to say, hey, you know what? People kept telling me, they're like, you need to use your story to help others, you know, because these corporations have been literally sucking money from everybody. I don't know. Right now, the vets, for example, the, the people that have gone to, I don't know, different places for war and everything, now they're coming, they're getting sick, you know. Um, and this is not only the Vietnam vets, just, the, you know, the people that, you know, um, came from Iraq or wherever. They came back in here, their children are sick. They're getting sick. And they don't care about them, you know. So I want to see if I can stand up for them because they all think we're all terrorists, all us Iranians, they're all bad people. And say, hey, you know, I'm going against corporations. I'm going against in here because, you know, the real estate people, they just don't care. I had a guy some one time told me, he says, you know, I want to help you because, you know what, I wanted to become a real estate agent. And after you're telling me this, I don't want to be a real estate agent because I don't want to put somebody's health in danger. They had told them don't tell anybody anybody has died. Well, you know, and people don't think about it. You know, well, oh, there's there's like there's so many things that are going on that these corporations just don't care, including the food that children are eating. Toxic mold that causes it. People are, this is a problem. It's not a lot of people are standing, but guess what? There's so many people right now are homeless because it causes neurological diseases. So people become homeless. It causes divorces. It causes, it's destroying, believe me what I'm telling you. It is destroying humanity. My girlfriend is my best friend. She just doesn't believe this is the cause of all diseases. I said, do I look like I'm crazy or I would be lying and going online to tell people or write a book about this? Because I was taught when I was five, six years old. My grandfather used to constantly tell me, this is this, this is that, this is this, this is that. 
I don't see five-year-olds being under a microscope. Maybe they are. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know about it. But I'm just saying because my grandfather wanted me to learn these things, you know. I'm not worried about the corporations because they just, just don't, don't care. And the real estate companies, they just don't care. You know, they're all in hand in hand, obviously, because they want to make money. The government obviously knows about it, you know. But you know what? Hillary Clinton didn't know about it. Donald Trump is getting more sicker in there. He's been exposed to it. I can look at his face and know the puffiness around his eyes. His lips have shrunk. That's one of the causes of it is my lips started shrinking. It still is because it goes inside you. It eats you from the inside, you know. No matter even his own wife gets a lip plumber and she's getting to because he knows about more, but he doesn't know enough of it at all because where he lived at, where he, you know, because it's all marble. Mold does not go in marble. Bamboo does not grow mold on it. It's the only ones that are really good. But, I mean, people don't, cannot afford a marble. But you know what? Somebody's got to stand up. Somebody's got to do something. I know um, they, they call it the Melinda Bill. Actually, was in Chicago. And uh, Mr. Conyers, um, I think it was Chicago's, um, I don't know, it was a representative, but uh, Mr. Conyers, he was the one that came with uh, the bill, the Melina bill, for, um, you know, it's got to be some. And then they had the toxic mold um, a group in um, in New York, and toxic, excuse me, toxic mold, mold uh, task, task force. They had that in New York. But you have to understand, it goes in the water, even in the buildings, so somebody's got to do something about it, you know. It has nothing to do with the law, but... People need to know. I personally think it's time people got to stand up and do something about things, you know. I've had too many things happen to me, my own self, that I know I was supposed to do this. I can't explain to anybody because, you, know, no, you know, a person doesn't know me, and I, you don't know me, and I don't know you. But I've had things happen that I was supposed to do this. I'm talking about things that are from God. And it has nothing to do with religion. To me, God is not a religion. You know, that I have to stand up. I see a friend of mine, she's African-American. Her kids were bleeding. Her, their nose was bleeding. She's got severe headaches. She wants to be a policymaker, but she was getting constantly headaches and sickness from the mold in the building. As soon as I walked in, I go, oh, my God, this building is dangerous, you know. But, you know, you're going against, uh, excuse my language, slumlords and people that have, yes, have real estate. But the problem is you, you can't get rid of it. You know why? Because the buildings are built with these sheet rocks. Their buildings are cheap. You put one sheet rock here, one sheet rock there. You put some insulation in the middle and some wood all of a sudden you call it building. I don't call these buildings or even big homes. I don't care how big they are. All it is is box. You know, you blow on it, it just falls off. You know, that's not a building. A building should be sturdy. That's why a long, long time ago they came with, you see American Indians? They didn't get sick. Why? They were living fresh air. They took their land away from them in here. Constantly, these developers, I call them devil oppressors. If you look at it, developer, it's like devil oppressor to me. And exactly that's what they're doing to humanity. They're constantly pushing pushing them in. I'm sorry, excuse me. Let me go to our next next panelist. They may have a question coming. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Yes, uh, my comment is that um, that uh, that a society, a capitalist society like this, uh, that uh, you know, the name of the game is to make as much profit as possible. They don't care how many people are hurt or killed in the process. Yes. 
Yes. And that's why they don't care about how uh, uh, how they raise uh, livestock, like you know sure. pigs, chickens, cattle, etc. Because mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize that the chemicals that they use in those animals end up in the human body at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that probably contributes to the various diseases that a lot of people suffer from in this society. Well, I'm going to teach you something. You know, you see the fat and the and the and, and the cow. You see all the fats. They call it. They say the the more fat, the better. You know, you've heard of that. I'm sure some of these chefs say they're more railings or something. You know, have you heard of um, you know those um, the Japanese uh, cow? Uh, what do they call it? I forgot the Japanese. Um, it's a kind of a, a meat supposedly from the cow. Well, the um, cows. When they're exposed to molds, that that's where they're built. These they're living in these buildings that they have um, the mycotoxins. Okay, Dr. William Kraft, when he was working with me before he had a stroke, okay, he told me he says, Sophia, um, you know what? If you guys are able to read the book Operation Synapse, this is put by Dr. William Kraft, C R O F T. You should be able to understand the whole thing because he talks about the trichotoxin mycotoxins in there. If you read, it really opens up a lot of things. He wasn't crazy. Uh, they were trying to, you know, um, tell him to be quiet, but he wasn't. Or sitting on YouTube tonight when you have time with Dr. William Kraft. You see those, the, the fat, is, first of all, they are like in Japanese. Um, in Japan, they're giving the cows, they abuse animals a lot over there, but they give uh, um, the the cows uh, beer. The yeast mold is off of yeast, you know, um, mold. And if you put beer, well, beer is fermented. That's when the Bible, Bible it says um, when John the Baptist were not supposed to, uh, were supposed to baptize Christ when he was born. Later on, they said John the Baptist were not supposed to have any kind of an alcohol. Why? Because Christ was holy, and he was holy. Elizabeth's child, St. John, when he baptized them. So throughout the whole Bible, if you really look at it, it talks about fermentation and all uh, unleavened. Now, if you look at the cows and everything, the cows, um, when they give them beer, okay, what it does is it causes the cow, they're, they're literally abusing the cow by shoving beer in its mouth because the cow is not supposed to eat that. That's abuse. And what happens is these cows, they're already exposed to these toxins. They already have the fat that the, the mold grows the fat in them. So then the same as what you have fat, we, we do. So it's the same as what they have fat with them, right? And then what happens is it causes the animal to get more sick. They don't tell people that. Now, on top of it, the cows around the United States, let's say, or wherever, and the pig, the pig, when it has that fat, for example, itself, if you look at the Leviticus law, we are not, if you're a Christian, true Christian, we are not. I've heard people like, oh, no, the New Testament is different. No, it's not the different. No. God brought the Leviticus law. Go look at the Leviticus law. Read the Leviticus law. Is That's what exactly the law was. That's why Moses, when he brought the people on the side, he said, don't have anything leaven because it causes diseases. So these cows have all this fat on them that is caused by the yeast and the molds. So when they cut the meat and you say, oh, ribeye, oh, that looks good. You look at it, it's got enough fat on it and all that. But you don't understand, you're actually injecting. So exactly you're right. When they're, all these things are we're being eaten, I don't know if you know this, we're not supposed to have meat actually. The teeth are not supposed to be meant for to chew on meat. We were supposed to have fruits, 
and herbs for medicine, as you know. You know, I know I'm sure you know that. But a lot of people think they're supposed to be eating meat. Meat, there's no such a, remember this, there is no such a thing as the word protein or vitamin. Trace mineral, yes, that's from your body. And every time, you're supposed to actually regenerate. So if you go online, put regeneration of cell, okay, then you put by trace minerals. And I, if I were you guys, as I'm telling you, as your sister, go order it. You would totally need us to see the difference within a month of your body, how it feels. So you know why? Because sulfur is taken away from the brain. Zinc is taken away from the brain. So all these things are taken away from where, from where? From the cow, you know. They're not supposed to be standing in one place. Like in Switzerland, if you go look at Switzerland, you see the cows are healthy. Why people so much healthy? Why? Because they take care of them. They don't know these. This country is going to go down to hell. It is actually going down to hell. Okay. Why? Just, uh, because they've been abusing animals. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I, just sorry. Say, I have one more panelist to speak to you. Then we have another guest online, Brother Che who need to come in and share some information oh, with our listening audience. So we're going to okay. take one more question, then we're going to go be, let you make your final thoughts and how people get in contact with me want to support you. Then we're going to Brother Che, because he's waiting patiently. Okay, Brother Moses, um, any questions or comments for our sister tonight as it relates to the well, I'll try to keep this brief. Okay, go I'll ahead. I'll try to keep this brief. Um. The, 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 you want a ban on uh, on the use of uh, sheetrock sheet in buildings? Is that what you're saying? Oh, God, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it shouldn't even be any kind of a sheetrock. Because, of, you know why? Because of the component inside of it, what's inside of it, and the ceiling uh, sheetrocks. They're not good at all. They're totally unhealthy. Let me tell you something. If you put a, a, a child, a baby that is just born, Raise it in a bamboo and then raise another child in a building that is uh, by sheetrock. Then have it rain on both sides, okay? Literally, you should be able to see. Guess what? It is the only cause of your wife not having babies. It kills children. You know what I named it? Intentional abortion. That's what it is. It kills the sperm in the body. It kills. That's why you see babies. I'm teaching you quickly before you guys uh, go. It is the only cause of all these babies in uh, incubators, in hospitals, nothing else, and every disease they're getting, including autism, measles, and all this stuff. Nobody's telling anybody. So that's why I'm trying to use my story around nation because I got to find an attorney. It's been 10 years, and we got to get in that building, tell people, and then I want to take this, this, this to United Nations and stand up for human rights. And I want to get people okay. that will stand with me. So. And how can they get in touch with you? Folks would like to support you or maybe invite you to their churches and communities. Sister, sister, can you tell people how can they get in touch with you and support you? If they want to keep take my number, it's very easy, um, and they can just leave a message. Um, uh, my phone number is, um, we really do need a lot of support. And I'm working with my pastor, so, you know, we've got a good team right now. Um, we, we need more. Um, 612, my phone number is, so 612-385-3444. It's really easy. So 612-385-3444. Okay. 
Okay, my sister, we'd like to thank you for coming and sharing your information with our people. We Bless do you. all that we can to help share the story. And listen, mm-hmm. audience, again, if you'd like to invite the sisters to your community, to your church, and find out more about the toxins and how they may be killing our people, yes. please they need do to so. Know. Thank you. So right now, we thank you, Sister Sophia. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we got Brother Chase from Senegal. We're going to talk a little bit about their African Liberation Day. Then we're going to that closing. You are listening to Africa on the Move. Liberation Day 
um, in Richmond, Virginia, that you have co-hosts and organize? Uh, okay, greeting, brother and sister. Uh, my name is uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Manyang. I'm from Senegal, West Africa, living uh, at this moment here in uh, Richmond, Virginia. So for many years, and uh, we, I belong to an organization here called uh, the Pan-African Unity Movement of Richmond, Virginia, with other brothers and sisters in the area. So, uh, and uh, we, I belong also to another organization uh, with Africans uh, that is called the African Community Network, and uh, heading by uh, a brother of mine, Gabriel Nyang. So, uh, and uh, because uh, the 25th of May uh, of 1963 was the day uh, African countries had founded the Organization of African Unity ever since every 25th of, the, of May come, we have to celebrate Africa Liberation Day because that was the purpose of the foundation of the Organization for African Unity. So, uh, in that uh, respect, uh, yesterday at the Library of Richmond, the African Community Network had organized a celebration uh, gathering uh, uh, African of, uh, from uh, home and African of the diaspora uh, together. Uh, just to celebrate, and uh, uh, the purpose was really to talk to each other and uh, come up with uh, uh, experiences, diverse experiences that every of us had faced for the purpose of trying to create a better understanding, you know, putting the, on the table uh, negative and positive experiences and trying to have a sound understanding of all of them for the betterment of our uh, communication style and uh, for our understanding and bringing really uh, stronger, some stronger bonds between uh, African descent in uh, the Richmond area. And uh, we really, uh, then yesterday, really uh, between the African Community Network and uh, the Elegba Folklore Society and other brothers and sisters uh, coming together, we succeeded to have a, a very nice event that started with uh, a documentary showing all the difficulties that Afghan had faced, not only in Africa, but also in the diaspora throughout the years. And uh, from there, and uh, from there, we... Uh, and from there, we uh, uh, had a round table where people really experienced, uh, ex- exchanged some experience and uh, uh, exchanged also some information uh, as far as their contact information. And, uh, you know, try just to, for the purpose of following up on uh, all those things that we had spoken about there. And it was a really a very nice. It was a different setup com- compared to the prior year, but overall it was very nice. It, it, people came with really a good understanding of what is at stake, and the kinship, and what we have to do, 
uh, that it's upon us uh, to do it, not to anybody else, if we really want to be successful. Yeah, so uh, uh, people agree on that. And uh, uh, we uh, uh, had another, took an appointment for the June team at the dark, you know, to get together again. So, uh, and the whole thing uh, was hosted by the ACN, who, which brought uh, some good African food also that people enjoyed and uh, uh, really commented on uh, how, how careful we were into, you know, making our food uh, to sustain really our vitality. Uh, so uh, basically it was really what we had over there, a lot broad exchanges between brothers and sisters there in a very positive atmosphere. And a lot of things that uh, people uh, have been uh, offended before, we brought it to the table to discuss it. And people came really to bring uh, some good understanding. So people who maybe have been frustrated came up with a better understanding after all. And uh, so really making everybody realize that we are one people and uh, we don't have to allow nobody or nothing to divide or for the, to divide us. If not, each of us would be really feeling the dire consequences. So uh, realizing that everything is in our own hands, really, to take care of now. So that was basically uh, what came out with, yeah, the event, yeah. Hey, Brother Seth, well, uh, I'm going to ask you this question, then I can turn you over to my panelists. They have some questions okay. comments they may want to ask you. What was your particular theme or focus for this year, African Liberation Day? What particular theme did you use or focal point that you wanted to highlight the most? Oh, coming from the event yesterday? Yes. Okay, from the event yesterday, we really wanted, because it is like some misunderstanding between Africans coming freshly from Africa and Africans born and raised here. So we had to address those misunderstandings and put people really on the right path to have a positive attitude towards finding a solution on, uh, and uh, avoiding at all, at all costs the blame game that will not lead us nowhere. That was really the focus yesterday. Okay, let me turn you over to our panelists. They may have a question or comment they'd like to ask you. We'll start with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Uh, thanks. Um, Brother Chad, uh, who were uh, some of the organizations represented at, at, at the commemoration yesterday? Okay, the main organization, the African Community Network, led by uh, Brother Jibril Nyang from Senegal, and uh, his associate, uh, Brother Ruben, was there, Brother Jakaria from Côte d'Ivoire. So they were there uh, representing the African Community Network, the main host. 
And uh, we had also uh, the Elegba Folklore Society with uh, Sister Janine Bell leading also uh, that organization. So myself, I was there with, as a member of the African Community Network, but also as a member of the Pan-African Unity Movement that is uh, uh, chaired by uh, Brother Neil Holmes, Professor Neil Holmes. So uh, those are the three main organizations that I uh, can, uh, that I saw really there yesterday. Okay, we'll bring you next, Brother Haki. The mic is yours. Brother Chair, quick question for you. It's, um, Hi, bro. Hey, brother. Listen, I, I spoke to you about a couple of weeks back uh, about, about my concerns. You know, I've been engaged in this discourse with a brother out of uh, southern Sudan. And uh, the thing is that he, he reminded me of the fact that there's a lot of conflict between the lighter-skinned Afri- uh, Muslims in North, in, in North Africa against the, the darker-skinned Muslims in North Africa. And one of the things I'm reminded of about two years back we were in Washington D.C. when we had a discussion around Muammar Gaddafi, and this, this, this Muslim brother he he was he was a lighter Muslim, lighter brother. He, he he talked about the fact that uh, he had a problem in terms of Africans, you know, from the neighboring countries, you know, coming into Libya because he felt they shouldn't be there. And our position was, the brother's position was that Africans born on the continent got a damn right to be there. Because they that's their continent. So my question mm-hmm. to you is that given this antagonism that exists between some Arab nationalists and their propensity to treat Africans of Dr. Hugh as less than what they refer to as Abbott, is that a concern or in terms of the Muslim community or something that's never addressed? Okay, uh you know, those are really at this time the consequences of uh Neo-colonialism. So, because uh, you know the, Af- the, 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 the the countries that have colonized Africa, mainly the European countries, France, England, but also neo-colonized Africa. So, when I say neo-colonized Africa, I'm going to include the USA and other countries. So, uh, they have uh, done a bad job into you know, dividing the Africans into uh, religious, on the religious line, but also on the ethnic lines. Today, it is like between uh, the light-skinned, the the light-skinned, it is, uh, it is like, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yo, I, I, I was just riding with someone who got lost. I'm sorry about that. Okay. So it is like uh, we have the, the divide between religious, on religious line, on ethnic, uh, on uh, skin views line, but also on ethnic line. So you go like to Burundi and Rwanda, you know, the Tutsi and the Hutu. I just named them because everybody knows about that. So uh, that is the same thing that is happening also if you go to Sudan, between the lighter skin and the darker one, the lighter skin, more uh, Arab, 
you know, all of them they speak Arabic anyway uh, in North, Northern Sudan. But uh, the darker ones, they know that uh, in, uh, if they go back to their history, they belong to some other ethnic group. And they knew that also slavery a long time ago have something to do with them having lost their ethnic identity uh, in the favor of the Arab culture. So those are the divisions. I mentioned that because it is something that Africans, the Pan-African uh, leaders knew about. The, Africa, the, 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 the Pan-African leaders knew about and they were trying to really do something about that. And, uh, and at that forefront, the president, Muammar al-Qaddafi, from uh, Libya, you know, was playing a big role. And he has been cut short because he was working for the unity of Africa alongside other African leaders like uh, Robert Mugabe, like Dem uh, Kagame, uh, uh, all of them they were working to get Africa together. So uh, by cutting them, by cutting short Muammar al-Hadad, it brought into Libya those issues. They were there, but as long as he was at the leadership of uh, uh, the Jamaria, so uh, those things could not uh, uh, come back to the surface. Instead, it was really the Pan-African the Pan trend that was taking uh, the upper part there in uh, Libya. So uh, those are the consequences really of the neocolonial domination upon Africa. Uh, that is the root cause. The root cause is the fact that Africa has lost its sovereignty partially for uh, with uh, the interaction, the interference of uh, uh, the European and the American power. So that is the main thing. It was there, but uh, uh, before they came, but they put the emphasis on it. They used it to further divide us through those lines. So that is really the problem. So meaning that the main thing is really to ha make sure that Africa emancipates itself from the domination of the superpowers. That is the issue now. Yeah. I don't know. So that is really what I can say about that issue. So that is something that is then uh, uh, on the plate of the Pan-African movement, whether in Africa or right here in America, to face and to try to solve. Okay. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Yes, um, I'm interested in the politics of the organizations that were involved in this, this African Liberation Day um, there. And um, the question is, are you uh, pro-scientific socialism, or, or what, what are you advocating in terms of government? Yeah, I'm on the phone. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, you know, I believe uh, we know the domination came from uh, uh, capitalism, 
because uh, uh, colonialism is nothing but the extension of capitalism overseas, you know, to other areas of the world. And uh, that we call imperialism. So, uh, therefore, if we really want to work and be uh, uh, successful against that uh, imperialism, of course, we have to embrace socialism. We have to embrace socialism. Uh, it is no other way uh, to go. Uh, but the first step would be really just to regain our independence. And uh, in fighting to regain our independence, uh, socialist uh, movement will be will are forced to be uh, to go into alliance with other forces that are not necessarily socialist. So uh, just to have a united front uh, strong enough to get to uh, get, uh, get some victory over the colonial power because uh, the socialist movement alone cannot really uh, do the job. So we need a broad alliance. But anyway, uh, socialism is uh, in the long run the only way for us to be successful, the only way for us not only to get our emancipation and keep it, you know, as still uh, in the long run because, you know, once you get rid of them, uh, they will always try to come back and if they have any force uh, thing in, within the people, they will use it and come back. And the socialism is the only guarantee for us to not only be victorious and keep the victory also going on. So, uh, yes, socialism is the only out to, uh, way forward, really. Brother Shea, in terms of how they can support your work, how can they get in contact with you? You say what? Yep. Uh, you know, when we uh, talk like that, we have to walk the walk, too. Meaning that the first thing is we have to get organized. And indeed, on the ground in Africa, we are organized. How I just do this for you. We are organized on the ground. And uh, we need help. We need help because uh, we don't need any external power to help us and uh, dictate to us what to do, what not to do, because we are working for freedom, and uh, we're going to also uh, need uh, some logistics, anything that can help us really go the way. We have uh, an organization that is called Back Home, and Jeff, in, uh, it is uh, a wall of African, wall of world, word uh, expression that means uh, working hand in hand, and it is a uh, 
It is the African Party for Socialism and Democracy. Uh, I'm sorry, African Party for Democracy and Socialism. That is the uh, name of the party I belong to. The African Party for Democracy and Socialism. Uh, so uh, I'm one of the representatives of the party here. So uh, we need to have really party-to-party relationship and uh, sit down and see really what we can do together. So I'm very open for that. You have my information. So uh, whenever you want us to sit down and talk, you know, uh, we can do it. Okay, and for the listening audience who may hear you, hear this program, how can they contact you? By my, through you. Anybody can contact me through okay. you, brother. You're more than welcome All to right, send so. really my contact to anybody. Okay, so to so the listening audience, anybody who's interested in contacting our brother Chad or any of the guests, this is Cecilia, please contact Africa on the Move 2 at Gmail, and we'll put you in contact with them. Our email is Africa on the Move, the number 2 at Gmail, and we'll put you in contact with all of our guests and participants. Brother Chad, we thank you for everything and your contribution to our people, and um, at this point in time, we've asked our panelists to give, give us their final thoughts, and we'll leave this program with a presentation by Brother Kwame Ture as she talk about the importance of consciousness. So right now, we'll go to our final thoughts. We'll come to Brother Moses. Your final thoughts, Brother Moses, for the night. Well, we have to have scientific socialism if we're going to progress. And uh, anything short of that is only going to lead to some form of neo-colonialism and, and imperialism. Um, I think the struggle continues, the protracted struggle, and uh, we have to be optimistic. Thank you. Brother Jay, uh, your final thoughts for the night? Yeah, just to thank you so very much, my brother, Brother Africa, for all the effort you're putting in the fight to emancipate our people. And as the brother just said, scientific socialism is the only way, and I believe that uh, we will win through the past. Thank you. Sister Sophia, your final thoughts for tonight. Sister Sophia, your final thoughts for tonight. Are you still with us, Sister Sophia? Your final thoughts? Okay, let's move to Brother Haki. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Just a quick announcement. African Awareness will travel the road of liberation and freedom to Cuba. We'll be visiting Cuba. We'll be going to Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. The trip takes place July 24th, July 31st. For more information, give us a call at 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, or one word, number two, at gmail.com. And we encourage people to go to Cuba and see for themselves firsthand the beautiful work they've done in terms of transforming people one of the most downtrodden of people to them, some of the most powerful people in the world. And uh, having said that, Brother Africa, I'm going to say goodnight. Thank you, Brother Haki, for your contribution to today's program. And Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is uh, uh, 
uh, we hope that uh, that these African Liberation Day commemorations have inspired you to increase your level of activity and that you will join or belong to an organization that is working for people's liberation. Thank you, Brother Anthony. How they can find out more about your organization? Okay, they can find out more about the All African People's Revolutionary Party by visiting our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program. And to our listening audience, we'd like to thank you for listening to Africa on Move and allowing us to come to your homes. And we come to tell you, remember, without information you cannot think, and without organization you cannot think clearly. Join the organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people and humanity. We'd like to thank all of our guests, from Sister Sophia, to Brother Che, to Brother Bamboshi, to Brother Emmanuel, to Sister Celine, and to all their various organizations and work. We'd like to thank them for working towards a united, liberated, Socialist Africa, what can we all sum up in one word? Pan-Africanism. That's the solution to our problem. So until next time, we'll see you next week at same time, same station. And let's remember always to subscribe to go forward, Apple, backwards, never. This is Brother Africa. We're going to leave you now with a message from Brother Kwame Ture on the importance of consciousness. Once we become conscious, then all things are possible. Brother. And he's still blazing a trail evil to them. So he has an eternal flame. His flame don't burn out. Some of y'all flames burn out. His flame is still strong. Let us all get on our feet, please. And let's give a warm round of applause to a great hero all the way from Guinea, all the way from the mother country. Our brother, our friend, Brother Kwame Ture. Brother Kwame Ture. As he comes down, let's Give it up as he comes down the aisle. Brother Kwame Ture, this is a historic occasion for us to bring our brother back again to the slave theater. Let's give a warm round of applause to our brother, Brother Kwame Ture, who's been on the fire line, who shook up America in 1966. We did holler, Black Power! Black Power! Black power, 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 black power. Black power. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? All right. Brother Kwame Ture. Let's give it up. Brother Kwame Ture.
Thank you for your warm welcome. You must excuse us for uh, sitting, but we have uh, some pain in our legs. <coughs> and uh, we're trying as much as possible to stay off of it while we're doing some tests with the uh, doctors. Of course, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party is always happy to be with the United African Movement. Uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party is always happy to be with the United African Movement. And uh, there are three members of uh, three other members of our central committee who are present. Uh, Brother Ron Gibbs is here, no? Brother Ron Gibbs is here. Yes. Sister Mawina Kuyate, who's also the head of the All African Women's Revolutionary Union. And of course, we're always proud of our living history. Uh, this brother who was uh, come through many struggles was the chair of the Black Panther Party in New York during the rough times and since joined the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. I've had the honor of working with him for almost 30 years, a member of our central committee, the youngest member, David Brothers. <laughs> Thank you. Uh -huh. Of course, we are always uh, honored to be with uh, United African Movement because the world is divided into many, many different categories. But one of the categories which interests those of us who are concerned with advancing humanity the most is that between the conscious and the unconscious. This uh, division between the conscious and the unconscious must be properly understood. The people instinctively love freedom, and they will instinctively fight for freedom. But you cannot win freedom on instincts. You can only win freedom on reason. Therefore, the unconscious are those who react on instinct. The conscious are those who react on reason. The job of the conscious is to make the unconscious conscious. Let us make a simple example. I think it was in 1992, after one more brutal beatings too many, the African population in Los Angeles, California, revolted, rose up in righteous rebellion. This was instinctively revolutionary. Instinctively in the sense that it wasn't planned. Instinctive in the sense that it was this reaction to brutality. And this instinctive revolutionary act was very costly to American capitalism. It even had to bring in the American army, very costly. But since it was on instinct, it had no reason, nothing to direct it, it would spin itself out. 
Most who participated were largely unconscious. We must come to understand that the overwhelming majority of our people are unconscious. But just because they're unconscious, you shouldn't think they don't want freedom. As a matter of fact, sometimes the unconscious is quicker willing to give their lives in struggle than the conscious. These are simple facts. Would you imagine what it would be like when we are conscious rebellious, when we consciously organize to rebel in Los Angeles with reason? I mean making supply lines, making sure armaments are there, having hospital aids, having fire brigades, just like they do even in Ireland. Nothing big, just a little planning. Just a little planning. This is what we want to speak to you about this evening. Making the unconscious conscious. Now we must say from the very beginning, the only, underline the word only, the only route to consciousness is through struggle. Now, for example, we've shown you the unconscious struggle. Those who rose up in righteous rebellion against the state police in Los Angeles, they were, they were consciously involved in struggle. They were involved in struggle, unconscious, but involved in struggle. The conscious must understand precisely what their task is, and we've said this two years ago here, we repeat it. Ours is not to teach the people to be conscious, but to make them conscious of their unconscious behavior. Our task is not to teach the conscious to be, to teach the unconscious to be conscious, but to make them conscious of their unconscious behavior. Because unconsciously, instinctively, they seek freedom. What we must do is make them conscious. Look, you want freedom anyway. Let's be serious. Let's sit down. Let's plan it. Let's wait protracted war. And let's tear down the system and walk on to liberation. It's as simple as that. This aspect of the unconscious becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization, something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer, but being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here. Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America, without the shadow of a doubt, and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt, the most loved. He could not become president of the Baptist, National Baptist Association, uh, convention. Yeah, so many of them. The National Baptist Convention. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if my memory serves me correctly now, and I remember it was Mohammed Speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964, when King tried to become president of the National Baptist Convention, there was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in the trouble. Yeah. And of course, King lost. 
The man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson. He never did nothing for the people, never cared about the people, just was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac. But he was organized. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very easy. Very, very easy. Because since we're people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost a job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teacher's unjust. The unjust, the people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event, not an organized event. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. One of the characteristics of mobilization is that it is temporary. Organization is permanent and eternal. Clear differences must be made because the unconscious can usually be captured easily around one-issue items, around mobilization items, but it's hard to catch them around organization. But these unconscious must be brought to organization. We must transform mobilization to organization. We say the enemy will come and use mobilization to demobilize us. Many brothers and sisters who've been to the Million and More March will say to you, I was there. Well, what are you doing today, my sister? I was there. There weren't too many sisters out there, but you know, with a million brothers together, you know where I had to be. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you find brothers. Yeah, I was there. I was there. I helped you. What are you doing today, brother? If we're not careful, we allow mobilization to become events. The struggle is never an event. It's a process, a continual, eternal process. We say it is our job to use mobilization to drive us to organization. You know our theme is organization. We want power. We don't want money. We don't want fame. We don't want fortune. We don't want popularity. We want power. Power. And power comes only from the organized masses. Power comes only from the organized masses. Therefore, since this is what we're concerned with, power, and we as a Pan-Africanist, we have every right to be concerned with it. Africa, after all, is the richest continent on the face of the earth. Properly organized should be the most powerful continent on the face of the earth. Therefore, our drive towards power is clear. We want power, and we can only have power through the organized masses. Of course, capitalism 
a system which in deforming our thinking always seeks to make it appear as if the organized masses is some unattainable goal. Even the other day when speaking to a sister who, uh, sister who's been involved in uh, activities over a period of years, she said, uh, Kwame Ture, uh, so you when you say a mass party, what do you mean? I said, I mean a mass party. She said, but the APRP goes everywhere in England, they go in the Caribbean, in uh, uh, in, uh, in the United States, in Africa, and they're always saying about a mass party. What do you mean? I said, every African in the world inside our party. She said, are you going to get that? I said, that's what I'm working for. And if I don't get it, my granddaughter going to get it. But I'm working for it. <coughs> Her disbelief comes from the fact that capitalism tells us that well, you can be scientific about everything except human nature. That people are so different, they have such different tastes, such different ta-la-la-la, that you can't bring them together under the same roof. This is a lie. We will never tire of saying it. Capitalism does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. When it tells the truth, it's a result of a double lie. <coughs> it's a logical fact. It's a logical fact. So capitalism has this belief that you can't organize all the people around the same thing. That's not true. You can organize all the people around one thing, truth. Now what capitalism will try to make it appear as if the truth is not one truth, but anybody can have the truth. This is stupidity. Nobody's born with the truth inside of them. If they were, they wouldn't need to live. We come to know the truth from outside of us. Some people think that they know the truth because they were born to know the truth. That's a lie. You know the truth from constant struggle against lies. That's how you know the truth. Constant struggle against lies. For example, they try to make it appear as if we Africans will not arrive at uniting ourselves even around, even the question around our identity. Well, you may call some of them Africans, but some call themselves black, some still call themselves colored, some, that's fact, they do that. But this is because they've been miseducated by a system which seeks to keep us divided, and this is the truth. And this is the truth. Obviously, we cannot be all of us so many different things. We must be one thing. Of course, for our party, there's no question. As for the United African Movement, we're Africans. End of discussion. End of discussion. This struggle is not an easy struggle. The struggle to go from Negro to black was a difficult struggle. Capitalism did everything to roll it back. Even had us confused. I'm not black, look at me, I'm brown colored. Yes. I'm not black, I got Indian blood in me. Oh. What nonsense they didn't have us say, just run away from the truth. We told them then, it is more difficult to go from Negro to black than it is to go from black to African. Many people criticized us for our efforts. Oh, in the 1970s, we had our last press conference, we said, we're going to put the word Africans on the lip of every African in America and we're not going to use the capitalist media press. And we have done it and we have not used the capitalist media press. As a matter of fact, the capitalist media press 
in trying to stop us from going to Africans in America, tried to throw out African Americans. They did it. We saw the whole scene. It's our job. We followed it carefully. Of course, they want to say African Americans. Of course, that keeps us exactly where we are. If you're African American, you're obviously not the same like an African Kenyan. And certainly not the same like an African Brazilian. And certainly not the same like an African Trinidadian, etc., etc., etc. But once you're just African, ain't no question. Ain't no question. You African, yeah, where you were born? Trinidad. You African, yeah, where were you born? Uganda. You African, yeah, where were you born? Egypt. You African, yeah, all Africans. Once you have proper identity, one of your biggest problems is solved. Because a people must know their national interests. A people must have a clear understanding of their national interest. The job of American imperialism is to let us think that our national interest is within the confines of American imperialism. That's why black American, African American, anything but make sure they hold on to America. When the conscious comes to understand that they're Africans born in America, Africans living in America, their whole outlook changes completely. America no longer becomes their world. Of course, this is a difficult task because America convinced everyone that she is the world. I'm sometimes amazed when I come in this country and hear them say world news. Here they come. World news. Today, President Clinton said... <clears throat> world news. Today, Newt Greenwich said... World news, all who's running for president can It's like, you know, it's like their World Football Association. <laughs> no, nobody played but them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the first conscious act in organizing our people is to let them know who they are. If you think you're an American, you will fight to protect the interests of capitalist America. If you know you ain't no American, you fight to destroy every aspect of American capitalism. <laughs> Our people have been unconsciously moving towards Africa. You know, I am uh, very fortunate. I spend a lot of time with our people, and I always stay with the poor. I stay with the poor because the poor, they are pure. I mean, the poor will fight and give their lives for positions which they're incapable of occupying. They shock me sometimes with their naivety and their honesty. No wonder they can so easily be exploited. I remember one sitting in Ghana at the house of uh, Akbar Mohammed, who's the uh, international representative of the Nation of Islam. And uh, there was a lot of people in the house, so I walked outside the gate, and I sat down, there's a little kennel there, and a concrete, I sat down by the kennel. The gardener next door came and sat down next to me. We began talking. So we talked naturally about Ghana. We talked about Ghana, we talked about Nkrumah. So after a while he said, were you born in Ghana? Are you Ghanaian? I said, no, I wasn't born in Ghana. I just live in Guinea. He said, but you know a lot about uh, Ghana. I said, well, yeah, I did a lot of study of the Ghana Revolution. I didn't tell him that I was the 
uh, political secretary of Kwame Nkrumah when Nkrumah was co-president in Guinea. I didn't even tell him who I was. You know, it, Kwame Ture meant nothing to him, just another name. After talking with the man for about half an hour, you know what the man said to me? He doesn't even know me now. He said, you know what? He said, listen, I only went to third standard. That's like about third grade. He said, I don't have no education, but people like me, we could fight and put people like you in power and you'll help us. Yes. I've seen it everywhere. In the South, I used to see people die for positions they couldn't occupy. As a matter of fact, people who couldn't get to the university died so students who had the ability could get to the university. People who couldn't vote died so people become mayors. It is these pure poor that we must be concerned with. These are the ones we must organize. These are the real makers of history. Forget the ones who are always talking and doing nothing. Get the poor, the pure. Watch their movement. The instincts are always correct. Our people have been unconsciously moving more and more towards Africa. Of that there isn't the slightest question. I saw it years ago. In the mid-1970s, I was going through Mississippi. I'd spent the 60s there and visited a sister whom I know was very active in the movement. She'd now been married and had a child. So the husband and her were very excited. They wanted to show me the child, as any uh, parents would be. And of course, me too, I was excited because I knew as a little girl, I wanted to see uh, my granddaughter, if you will. So uh, when she came, I held the door. I said, what's the name? She said, uh, Ajola. I said, Ajola? She said, yes. I said, what does it mean? She said, I don't know. I just made it up. Does it sound African? <laughs> this was in the mid-1970s in Mississippi. I remember in the 1970s, late 1970s, I saw a young man. He was wearing a red, black, and green jacket. I stopped the man, young boy. I said, young blood, what's this uh, red, black, and green? He said, those are our colors. I said, what do you mean, our colors? He said, man, these are our colors. You don't know our colors? I said, no, what do you mean, our colors? He said, man, red for blood, green for the lamb, black for us. You don't know this? I said, no, I don't know this. He said, man, where are you coming from? He started to walk away. I said, brother, have you ever heard of a man called Marcus Garvey? He said, Marcus Garvey, who's he? I said, he's the one who gave you the colors. <laughs> the unconscious are moving towards Africa. It is job of the conscious to make them conscious of their unconscious actions. Since our people are moving towards Africa, it behooves us clearly to come seriously and to organize properly this movement and putting Africa as its primary. This is the job of the conscious. But the conscious gets their sustenance from the unconscious. I am certain that most of the brothers and sisters attending the Million and More March were unconscious. Unconscious in the sense that they do not consciously try to develop themselves in a systematically basis, on a day-to-day -day basis, to make a contribution to the people. But the milieu which that unconscious mass created now makes it possible for the conscious mass to make this unconscious mass quickly conscious. <laughs> quickly conscious. And this is our task. I had the honor, when working for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in 1968 in Washington, D.C., after having served as one year as the chair of the organization, of being with the stick team that helped develop the first black united front in this country. It came out of Washington, D.C. It was well organized. 
After leaving for Africa and uh, much confusion, mainly with the infusion of money into the Black United Front, the front fell apart. Moving to the All African People's Revolutionary Party, we have done everything in our possibility to create an African United Front. What do we mean by an African United Front? We are saying that those organizations which are politically on the front lines fighting for our people, like the NAACP, like the Urban League, like the Nation of Islam, etc., etc., should come together and form a united front. This united front is a very simple thing now, a very simple task. All it means is that we come together and have common meetings. And if we hear one attacking the other newspaper, we don't respond to the newspaper. We telephone each other and ask them. Our party has been doing much work on this. Because we're among comrades who work, we will give you some of our files, which is not made public. Only here are we doing so. The Nation of Islam was an observer at the Washington, D.C. Black United Front. Although invited to join, they felt that at that time they wanted to observe. They were allowed full participation except voting, which they themselves accepted as observers. That is, they could fully participate in every level of the discussion. When the United Front broke up, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party quickly moved to put together a United Front. We had brought together Mr. Roy Wilkins, who was alive at that time, this was in 1972. Uh, Vernon Jordan. Who was before Vernon Jordan? The one who died in Africa. Whitney Young. No, it was jo I'm sorry. Whitney Young had died. It's correct. It was Vernon Jordan. Vernon Jordan was then at the Urban League. Of course, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was alive, and he was sending uh, Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as his representative. Jesse Jackson was representing Push. Dorothy Hyde, the uh, National Council of Negro Women, Reverend uh, Abernathy, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, in his core, and we represented the All-African People's Revolutionary Party. My brothers and sisters, I'll tell you the truth. You must never get discouraged in struggle. You will build something, and the enemy will knock it down, and you'll have to start from zero. But as we say in our party, we're starting from a higher qualified zero. You must never be discouraged in struggle. As a matter of fact, the easiest way for the enemy to take you out is to make you frustrated and disgusted. Oh, I went to that meeting. They ain't doing nothing. I ain't got no time for them. Until they get serious, I ain't going there. What you doing? I ain't doing nothing. And they really think that they're intelligent. They think they've made a great statement. So you must not be discouraged, but the enemy's job is to discourage us. We did a lot of work trying to get that meeting together, a lot of work, a lot of work. And because of a Zionist plot, because of a Zionist plot, they wrecked the entire meeting in 48 hours. The meeting was wrecked, but we were not. <laughs> and we are revolutionaries. You knock it down, we're coming back strong.